The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. We are in the book of Jonah, chapter 3. We're continuing a series called The Divine Chase, where God is chasing down people, and specifically his prophet. Jonah is one of the only prophets where the biblical character is, um, is very, 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 very broken and jacked up and messed up. Usually the prophets speak for God, but this prophet, the book of Jonah, he is, uh, is running from God. So if you're flipping there or if you're turning on your app and scrolling up to Jonah, we're in chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. And if you're new here or if uh, any information that you have has changed or if you need prayer, I'd encourage you to grab one of these connection cards during the sermon, fill it out, and you'll have a chance to put that in the offering later on in the service. But, but I want to spend a, a moment to pray. Um, to prepare our hearts and souls to hear from God this morning. Father, you sit above everything, yet you in your kindness have sought us and you've come down to be in, in what at times is the swamp of our life. Lord, we, we pray and we ask this morning that you would speak through your word. God, I thank you for the report um, that I was just given that two of the boys, uh, two boys were found in, in that cave in Thailand. Lord, we lift up not only those who are still lost there in that um, disaster, but we, we lift up those in the chapel family, God. I pray for, for both of the surgeries coming up this week to remove cancer. Lord, that your hand of healing would be upon um, Peggy and Matt, and that there would be a graciousness, that there would be a power displayed by the way that their bodies are restored. And Lord, now I pray that you would, you would open our souls to be transformed, that we wouldn't come here just for more information, that, that we would find information that leads to transformation. So give us eyes to see, in Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. It's, it's ironic, today we're talking about um, Jonah going to preach to Nineveh. He's already been uh, run from God, he's already been swallowed by the fish, and, and last week we were inside of the fish, and then the fish vomited him up. And, and just a funny side note, I don't usually like sharing what the ancient languages say, because I, th- I feel like that can be pretentious when pastors do that. But I love the word for, for vomit. When, when the book of Jonah says that the fish vomited up Jonah, the word for, for it in the Hebrew is ka, but in Hebrew it's more of a guttural language, so it's almost like a ha. Um, and that's the Hebrew word for vomited up on the ocean. So last week the fish ha, uh, Jonah up on the shore. Um, and this week God says, a very important thing to Jonah. This is the second time God's going to give Jonah command. And here's what he says in Jonah chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 to 5 just all the way through. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. This is his sermon. This is his entire sermon. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The end. In the English, it's five wor- or eight words. I have never preached an eight-word sermon in my life. And the people of Nineveh, based on that eight-word sermon, 
believed God. And they called for a fast, just withholding food or water. And they put on sackcloth, it's burlap. It's like the, it's like the Pinterest of Nineveh times. And from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now, this is God's word. This is Jonah. Um, just by a show of hands, can any of you remember being 10? If you're not 10 yet, then you don't remember that. So I found like the older I get, the less I'm remembering like those years. I'm just remembering the highlight reels. Um, but now I almost have a 10-year-old. So I'm remembering now that God has given me a clone of myself to torture me for what I must have done to my mother. And let me give you an example. Um, I tell Jackson and all my kids, go clean, fill in the blank, anything in the house. It doesn't matter what I'm telling them to clean. It doesn't matter if I was telling them to, to clean something and there was a gold treasure at the end of it. How fast do kids move when you tell them to go clean their room? It's like if a sloth had a baby with a snail that had a baby with a brick. That's how fast my kids move. And you would think that somebody is tying them to the ground or that there was a gravitational force preventing them from walking normally up the stairs. This same attitude is what Jonah is, is giving off as he goes into this Ninevite city. He didn't want to be here. He didn't want to preach to the Ninevites, which is why he ran in the first place. He doesn't want to preach again, which is why he gives the shortest, least detailed message that he could possibly give. But he's coming along because God said, arise and go, and he, and he went. He went to Nineveh, this brutal city, this city who, uh, if you've got children, you need to cover your, their ears. Uh, this city would take over other nations and peoples, and they would do it in the most brutal fashion. The way that they would siege cities, they created technologies to go over walls of cities, and they would demoralize them by taking victims of the city and putting them outside the city in gruesome, horrific ways so that those still living could look out of the walls and see their fathers and brothers and aunts and uncles and sisters on display. And Jonah walks right into it, walks right in and just says, 40 days, y'all are dead. That's a modern redneck translation. Now, I have to point out a couple things here. Um, Jonah is doing something very good that I think some of us, we, we ignore. God says, arise and go, and Jonah just goes. And we know that Jonah was a prophet. We don't know how much he knew or didn't know. We just know that he went. And I know that for you and for me, the idea of being a missionary is oftentimes very foreign. We, we think of things that disqualify us. I don't know enough. I don't speak well enough. What if they ask a question I don't have the answer to? My life is not good enough. We give all of these reasons, and, and I want you just to think about your reasons in light of Jonah. Um, if you think you're not faithful enough to God, Jonah tried to run the other direction, and God had to have him partially digested by a fish. That was Jonah's qualifying moment. And then when Jonah was vomited on shore, some of you say, well, I, I just don't have the energy to go and do what God has called me to do. I don't know about you, but um, I've done weird things in my life, okay? Uh, as a youth pastor, you couldn't get away with this now, but back in the early 2000s, you could definitely get away with this. We would order pizzas for the youth group, 
And we, I just got bored of the same thing. Like the pizza guy would come in, he'd say hi, we'd get to know each other. So I wanted to make it fun for this pizza guy that we had a relationship with. So we started doing weird things to kind of throw him off and trick him. And one of the things, one of my favorite things that we would do is we would get um, a ladder or a stool and we'd put a teenager against a tree standing on the stool. And then we would take duct tape and we'd duct tape the teenager around the tree about five or six feet off the ground. And then we would remove the stool so the teenager would just be suspended in air. And then we'd put the cash for the pizza in his hand. And we'd wait in the bushes, because this was like before video cameras were popular and we didn't have these things yet, um, just to watch this guy's reaction. And sometimes, um, we, we did this a few times with different pizza people because it became this prank and we would write things on the duct tape. And it was so amazing to see these pizza delivery guys come up and they're, they're walking up to a church office and all of a sudden they just see a kid struggling and he's got the tape on his mouth <laughs> and he's got cash in his hand. That's it, just a 12-year-old with cash in their hand, totally vulnerable. And then we, we would always, you know, we try to leave the tape off so that they could blow it off. They'd be like, help, help. Pizza man would run over. Pizza man, are you okay? What's going on? And he goes, I need pizza. And he'd open his hand and give him the money. And then we'd all jump out of the bush. And the pizza man would be thrilled. And we, we did prank after prank like this. But it, was, it got me to uh, thinking, like, uh, every time, and, and I didn't know this. I'm not a medical person, obviously. Um, but when you suspend somebody and you're putting pressure on their body against a tree, it's actually not super good for their blood circulation. Um, there were a few times where I think it was probably too tight because we would cut down the human and they would try to walk and they struggled because they had been constricted for too long. If it was, this was back in the day, some of you aren't going to know this, but it was like uh, under 30 or free. It was back in those days. But if the pizza went a little long, all of a sudden you've got this 12-year-old up there really just suffocating internally for 35 minutes. And when they would come down, they'd, they'd be laughing because it was fun for them. And, uh, and this is before I had ever worked my way up to being like a, a small groups pastor or an adult pastor. This was before the words liability meant anything to me. And, uh, and I would just say, oh, you can't even walk. This is so funny. We could shove them over. And now you're thinking, what does that have to... Because if I tell you today to arise and go, some of you are going to say, I, I can't. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't have the energy. Um, I'll tell you one thing that happened to me not 35 minutes ago. Um, I was in the back hallway, and I was, I was listening to our children's director, Donna, and, and another mom here talking about foster mom, talking about foster care, talking about how there's two kids, uh, babies, sleeping with, without a bed right now. And there's kids that are in sheriff's homes or sheriff's offices all night because Hillsborough has got one of the highest foster uh, rates in the country. And uh, so I, some of you need to arise and go. Some of you need to rise up and say, I'm going to go right at this pocket of hell, which is kids coming from families that are being destroyed by addiction or abuse, and I'm going to step and I'm going to rise and go. It may not be the most comfortable time. I may have just got out of a difficult situation. I may have just been in the belly of the fish, but if you're freed, if God has brought you out of the belly, arise and go. And if you want details on how to do that, 
Go talk to Don right there. Raise your hand, Don. Arise and go. I can't do that. You don't understand. My grocery bill's too high. Get up and go. You've just been vomited out. And, and our mission is not to, to wait till we're equipped, to wait till we know what to say. Jonah did not know what to say here. Our mission is to do what God has called us to do. Not everyone here is going to be called to go foster kids. But I have a strong hunch that today there will be at least two families that will want to foster kids. It's not easy. Some of you are just going to be called to arise and go pray for someone. This past Saturday, um, we laid hands on one of our brothers for our Saturday morning band of brothers. We meet here now because Cool Beans closed. Rest in peace. And, um, and, and this, this guy was one of the ones we prayed for going into surgery. Big, strong, military man. And, and I'm like, we're going to lay hands on him because that's what it says in the Bible. You lay hands on people. So we all circle around him. We lay hands. Some go for his shoulder. Some go for the other shoulder. But it's a, it's a kidney thing. So I put my hand right in the kidney, which is also right on a love handle. You've never been intimate until you've touched another man's love handle for prayer. And, uh, and then I, one of the other guys was holding his hand. So here we got these military guys, grown men, coming for Bible study. And we just end with two guys holding hands and one guy touching his love handle. That was me. But we prayed. It was, it was one of those things where you think, well, I could just pray from afar. But God put on my heart to pray laying the hands on. Because in the Bible it says lay hands on for prayer. So arise and do that. Some of you, your arise and go is going to be a smaller distance to go. Because Jonah still had to get from the shore to Nineveh. Who know, uh, you know, somewhere between like 400 miles or so. It's, uh, Nineveh is in modern day Iraq. So you had to trek from the Mediterranean into Iraq. Some of your distances might be shorter than that, but some of them might be emotionally difficult. Some of your arise and go is going to be, arise and go, tell your spouse that you're sorry for being an idiot. Now that, that message might just be the distance of a dining room or kitchen, but there's this uh, insane thing that happens. We're going to talk about it soon. There's there's three components we have in, in our life. It's the, the big word in psychology and theology. It's called triperspectivalism. Head, heart, hands. Easy to remember? All H's. Ready? Say it with me. Head, heart, hands. Now, what happens in life, if you want to change, if you want to find a lasting change, if you want to know how to arise and go, you have to understand how humans work. You, you learn something in your head, and that affects your heart which in turn changes what you do, your hands or what you do. That's, they represent doing. So this represents what you know, this represents what you believe, and this represents what you do. Jonah was full of head knowledge when his journey begun, but his heart was not in it, which is why he preaches this message. He did arise and he did go, but he did it in a way that wasn't faithful. It, it was a way much like I feel this morning. Um, do you ever have those mornings where you wake up and you're just like, I don't care about this morning. There's no Folgers. There's no best part of waking up today. Dunkin' Donuts won't do it for me. Um, I don't know what it is. I just woke up grumpy. Uh, my baby slept like a dream. 
My wife is healing and recovering, and she's sleeping, I think. Um, I did get spit up on last night, but that's just to be expected. But I, I woke up, and, uh, and maybe it was because I couldn't find one of my headphones. I don't know, because I woke up, and one of my headphones was missing, because now, instead of headphones with wires, I got these stinking Bluetooth ones that fit in your ear. They're really cool while you're wearing them, until you lose them somewhere. And then they're the most expensive half of a set of headphones you've ever owned. So I woke up, I'm like, where's my headphone? Couldn't find it. And because I, I couldn't find my headphone, I got out of bed before I gave prayers of thanksgiving. And then I, I was getting ready and um, just doing my normal routine, taking my medications, trying to do my hair, trying to cover up with the trump so I don't look as faded in the front because I'm balding. And then I get dressed, weigh myself. My vegan diet is letting me down. I'm withering away. I'm tiptoeing around. And then uh, in my upstairs floor, I got this one area that creaks. And some of you guys have this. Do you know the, you know how you have those floors? And because if you, if you have some people that sleep, you want to be ge generous. So you, you know the spots to stand on where you don't creak. And it's like American Ninja Warrior every morning. This is me. Cartwheel, flip. But this morning, I stepped on the wrong spot, and it just, it sounded like it lit up the whole house. And my wife, because we have a newborn at home, um, she's like a gargoyle of fury with noise. If I sneeze, I'm in trouble. This morning, I sneezed so hard into my arm, I thought I shot my ears down to the first floor. And then when I stepped on that creek, uh, she's really good at being quiet because this is her fourth baby. But her head just popped up like, you know what I mean. If you're a husband, you know this look. It's like evil resurrection. And that's not even doing it justice. I felt lasers shredding my soul. In that moment, I realized <laughs> this is going to be a bad day. And I drove up to the chapel, and I noticed could have been off for weeks, but the sign on the far side of the chapel is just sitting on the ground. And I thought... I'm going to kill someone today. And then I came inside, tried to make some coffee. Turned out okay. And then I was meeting some people, hanging out, talking. And I just felt like the surge of grumpiness welling up within me. I, I couldn't explain it. And it's still here right now. I feel like Jonah, walking through a city, just wanting to do the bare minimum to get by. Arise and go. Find God, I'll go bare minimum. 40 days, y'all are going to be overthrown. Look at what's missing in this sermon, Jonah's sermon. We don't know who is mad. We don't know who's going to overthrow them. We don't know why they're going to overthrow them. We don't know any reasons. We, we don't know the most glaring absence of all. Jonah doesn't mention Yahweh. He doesn't mention the God of the Bible. He just walks around saying, y'all are going to be overthrown. That's it. It's over. Because that's what Jonah wanted. Sometimes our excuse will be that we don't know enough to talk to someone else about Jesus. I promise you, if God could use me, he can use you. And you say, well, you talk every, every week. You do it for a living. I didn't used to. I once gave a speech about lasers. This is in my freshman year of college in Communications 101. I gave this riveting speech about lasers and how they were formed, and, and how the light was concentrated into the beam. 
And then after my speech, my communications professor said, Ryan, whatever you do, never, never go into a career where you have to speak in public. Joke's on him. The bare minimum, though. Jonah did the bare minimum. He didn't mention why he was going, where he was going. I've, um, I've worked in big corporations before. I've worked in retail. I've worked in pharmaceutical companies. I've worked in education, public education. So I've been in a lot of the industries that some of you are in. And we all know that person who does the bare minimum. We're going to call him bare minimum Bill. You know who I'm talking about? It's like when you have to get something from point A to point B, Bill is the slowest walker that there is. You ask Bill for a TPS report, whatever that is, and he'll fill it out for you one day, and he'll scan it the next day and email it the following day. Some of us can be that person, bare minimum Bill. This is what Jonah was doing. My encouragement to you is to no longer pursue the bare minimum, but if, you, if that's all you've got, if maybe that's all you've got, maybe the only source of energy you have today is the fact that you woke up and you were not with Jesus face to face, so you have that ounce of great gratefulness. And maybe today you're not operating in any sense of health. Maybe all you've done for breakfast is had four and a half cups of coffee with a Splenda. If that's all you've got, but God still says, arise and go, then go and trust God to sort out the details. We are not called to have all the answers. We are not called to be the smartest. We are not called to to be witty or funny. We are called to, to go when God says go and to speak when God says speak. And God draws a straight line with a crooked stick often. He does it with Jonah here. He can do it through us this afternoon. Arise and go. But don't don't just arise and go based on your own effort because I need us to look at something. In verse 5, very, very amazing, this happens. Without any details, the people of Nineveh believed, who did they believe? God. Without any details. Jonah didn't say God. Jonah didn't mention the problem. Jonah didn't say that they had to believe in God, but they had put the details together. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth and ashes. They heard something, went into their head. It changed their beliefs, and then their actions followed. Fasting, sackcloth. Burlap, withholding food. Until you understand this tri-perspective way of managing your life, that there are things in your head that don't make it to your heart, that never make it to your hands. Until you get that, you will never be able to connect with God in the way that I think you want to. Otherwise, you might not be here, unless you're one of the few people that were coerced or tricked to be here this morning. Let me give you an example. Some of you say, I believe in Jesus. There go, I am saved. Some of you have said the prayer Some of you have walked down to the altar, to the front. Some of you have done this, depending on your denominational background, like 30 times. Anyone in here been saved like 100 times before? Like every time the preacher's like, you got to be saved. Ah!" And you come down to the front, and they bless you again, and you're crying again. It feels real again. 
and you pray that prayer again, thinking maybe this time that I pray the prayer, I'll finally find freedom from all of these train wrecks of sin in my life. Maybe this time I'll be generous instead of greedy. Maybe this time I'll be selfless instead of selfish. And you pray, and then the the next week, the preacher goes at it again. If you don't get your life saved, there's going to be fire. Ha! I don't know why I stomp for the Pentecostal preacher thing. Ha! Uh, doesn't it? It almost sounds like ka. <laughs> almost. Um, here, here's here's what I love. Uh, Billy Graham said the one of the greatest distances to travel, the most difficult journeys to take, is from the head to the heart. Um, I think in Christianity today, no pun intended, there is an obsession with what we know, and then there's an obsession with what we do with our hands. You've got the social justice warrior people. You've got the social gospel people who say, we just got to do good, do good, do good, and they look to what they do to give them a sense of meaning, worth, and value, and acceptance. And then there's the, the brainiacs that say, it's, I got to know everything. I want to have every answer. Every time I'm confronted with someone from a different religion, I want to be able to just dismantle their argument till it's nothing because that's love. <clears throat> and this, this, this dichotomy, this split, we've sort of left absence at times, the heart. And there's always a group that have this passion for God. And, and you need to self-reflect and know yourself. Are you a head person primarily? Are you a heart person? Are you a hands person? Because the ideal situation is that we would have all three of those areas of our lives aimed toward Christ. That we would do what the Ninevites did. They heard something, got into their head. They believed it, and that belief changed what they did. They put on sackcloth and ashes. And for 150 years, they were not wiped out. Sorry, spoiler alert. Because if you keep reading the prophets, there's a prophet named Nahum, where God then comes 150 years later, and Nineveh does not turn. And they are wiped from the face of the planet, only to be seen in the British Museum today. Somebody laughed at that. Brutal. You wait your turn. You are a vapor. (laughs) The Bible, in the Bible, belief is always followed by an active response. There is no I believe in my brain only. Belief always funnels from the head to the heart to the hands. This is why when people say I believe, I want to look and see what are your, what are you doing? Because if we believe, um, We should be, as we've talked about, and I've told you before, I love the fact that we get to be real at the chapel and authentic. I love the fact that I can say things like our goal and our mission, and I'm not quite to the point where I'm going to put it on a bumper sticker yet, but I'm really close, even though I don't even like bumper stickers. But I, I just like the slogan that we exist to love the hell out of the world. Like, as a theological statement, not as a quippy statement. We exist to love, take sacrifice. We're going to love the hell because this world is covered in pockets of hell. We all know this. There's nobody that denies this. Um, whether you're talking about uh, people in prison, whether you're talking about the brokenness of addiction, whether you're talking about sex slavery, whether you're talking about broken marriages, whether you're talking about marriages that are together but broken on the inside, whatever the hell is, we exist to love so that the hell of our world is removed. This is just a translation of 
the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Taking heaven and merging it to earth will then squeeze hell from this place. This is what it means to follow Christ. So when someone tells me I believe in Jesus, I, I, I look at them and I say, okay, I want to know how are you loving the hell out of this world? Because belief leads to a change of our heart. If you want to find someone that's passionate about something, just, just talk to one of the people that are around you today and say, hey, how are you loving the hell out of our world? And find out. You'll find out that we have people uh, that you'll find out in a second. So the teenagers just went down to Bethel Farm Ministries, and, and they were organizing and providing system help for how they feed these farm workers and just hundreds of these farm workers, and they've got to organize all the food, get the facilities ready, clean them up, do this and that. They were taking a pocket of pain where there's lack of food, lack, lack of in, in infrastructure in this area, and they just needed servants to paint, to organize, and they, they took love there. Or the foster care thing, taking the love of, of a responsible adult and saying, I will love this child and protect them and keep them safe, give them something maybe they've never had in their life. Or the love of, of just a friend um, or, or a neighbor over here in Channing Park, uh, who tragically the parents and one of the children died, and there's just uh, adult children left, but some of the Channing Park neighbors are just mowing their grass for them, which in summer, that's an act of love. And one of them said, I was going to mow my grass today, but I just finished mowing their grass for them again, so now my grass is this tall. I said, dude, if you don't mow by the end of the week, it's going to be this tall. But that's love. Maybe it's that friend that, you know, just needs one letter of encouragement. Thanks for being there for me. That can be an act of arise and go love. But if our beliefs don't shape our actions, I'm not sure we have true belief. And I, and I don't want us to get it wrong. Um, it's not that your behavior creates true belief. It's that true belief creates beautiful, God-centered action behavior. And, and, and in case you're new, you need to know that at the chapel, it's not if you get your life together, then God will love you. It's God loves you, and he sent Jesus for you. All we have to do is believe in him. That's it. And that belief will then change our life from the inside out. That belief will give us the tools and it will purge the things from our life so that we're, we become less and less selfish. We become more and more selfless. We become less and less self-righteous thinking we're better than other people and we begin to see others and see the beauty and joy and hope in the lives of people around us. We see that no one is a lost cause because we are not a lost cause. There's a reason, though, why it's so addicting to try to get our own life together there's a reason why guys like Tony Robbins or Gary Vee or Tim Ferriss, there's a, there's a reason why those guys continue to exist, to inspire us, to shape us, to, to get us to motivate ourselves. But there's also a reason why the self-help section is often the largest section at a bookstore. A bookstore is a building where they have these things bound in paper and covers on them. They're like an ex almost extinct animal. The bookstores are like the dodo birds of retail. But we love him. Don't we love him? He works at a bookstore. Got to find some job security, buddy. 
bookstore. It's the largest section because we're addicted to wanting to help ourselves. But only when your heart has been gripped by how much Jesus has pursued you will you then pursue others. Only when your soul is, is just swimming in an ocean of God's grace and forgiveness will you be able to offer forgiveness to someone else. It's only when you have the good news of Jesus pressed into you like a hot iron will you be set on fire to press mercy and grace and forgiveness and love into the lives of others. It's only when you realize how much Jesus left the comforts of heaven to come and rescue you that you will leave the comforts of home to go rescue others. It's only when you realize that Jesus gave up his life to bring you into his family that you will give up your life to bring others into his family as well. This is the good news. And right now, I don't want you to miss out. Um, one, of the, one of the most beautiful verses to me is Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. And, and I li like in the very end of that passage, it says, For we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are saved by grace through faith. But we are saved, and it says literally that we are God's poema, where we get the word poem. I pray that God is writing a beautiful poem of your life, of taking his love through you to press hell out of this world. Because it's exhausting. It's exhausting how much I hate cancer. It's exhausting how much I hate tragedies of family losing parents or children. It's exhausting that we have foster kids. It's exhausting that parents abuse their children. It's exhausting. And if we keep playing the game of what I know is what reigns, and we never let it affect our heart and hands. Or if we just say, I'm going to do good things, but I'm not going to let my heart surrender to Christ. I just want to do a couple good things to feel better about myself. It's still all about you, but at the chapel, it's not all about you. It's all about Jesus. I pray that you would find your motivation in the good news of Jesus this morning. Let's pray. Lord, um, I feel Jonah today. You say arise and go, and, and some days, Lord, I just lack the motivation. For that, I'm sorry. Lord, when, when we in this church family leave this room today, I pray that you would give us an arise and go a personal one. Maybe it's to find out more about fostering kids. Maybe it's to find out more about how we can serve the homeless at the end of this month. Maybe it's to find out where we can get plugged in to teach the children in the back or mentor the youth or be part of the new youth programs we're creating to, to teach kids life skills and, and share the good news of Jesus with them. Lord, maybe it's just to sit down and have coffee with someone and encourage them because their life feels like it's at the end of the rope. Lord, whatever our arise and go is, make it clear before we get to the parking lot and put the, the Sunday gathering in our rearview mirror. Lord, burn it into our hearts how you rose up from your throne in heaven and came to earth for weary sinners like myself. Help me to be filled with the fire of that love. And Lord, help this community 
help this county and this city to be transformed by this good news that someone came for us and turned the world upside down and that you left your spirit within us so that we could go and do the same. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen.